Welcome to the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast, the show dedicated to bring you the news from the oil patch deep in the heart of Texas with your host, Ryan Ray and Josh Shelton. And we're back with the Texas Oil and Gas Podcast. We appreciate you tuning in to this week's episode. This is episode 106. I'm your host, Josh Shelton, with my friend and co-host, Ryan Ray. Ryan, this week we're going fishing, man. You, uh, you ready to get the stage two beat down? <laughs> yeah, it is all on the line this week. You know, we have another scheduled trip, but you got a baby or some weak excuse for not going <laughs> next month. I went after having a baby, but you know, whatever. It is what it is. I will be there this Friday at Baffin Bay Rod and Gun, prepared to take you down. Um, so, and you know, we won't have a show next week. So the listeners, unless they're going to the Shrimp Bowl, um, they can talk about it there. But you know. They won't find out until June 3rd. And so, uh, yeah, but Baffin Bay Rod and Gun is our sponsor. Be sure to check them out and thank them for sponsoring the show. BaffinBayRodAndGun.com. Josh and I will be heading down Friday, fishing Saturday, and come back. Um, always have a blast down there with the good folks at Baffin Bay. Josh, I, um, you know, last time, I mean, I've won one. You've not won any. So we tied, I think, last time officially. So one, it's 101. So you have to win. Just to tie me, because if you tie me, you still lose because I beat you once, and if you lose, then you've lost twice and you've tied once. So really, you you really have to win just to tie. That's the position you're in. Well, here. just just to clarify here, the first trip, uh, you just you just beat me. You didn't beat the other two. So on this last one, it was a tie, four way tie, with everybody. So just just to clarify there, you didn't do that great on the first trip. It's just I didn't catch anything. <laughs> I beat you. Yeah. That's all that really okay. matters. All right. That's all well, that matters. Well, uh, like we said, the 26-incher, uh, that'll, that'll, that counts, right? If we catch one of those, that'll count for two. Yeah, so what we'll do is we got a little window of time this week. We'll sit down and we'll, we'll map out the rules, <laughs> and then we can have separate rules if we're going to play with everyone on the boat. Last time, everyone wanted to play, so but we'll have distinct rules for me and you. And then we'll post those on our LinkedIn so our listeners, if you connect with us on LinkedIn, you can see what the rules are. Um, because it was a bit of a controversy there there towards the end. We thought we were trying to figure out how to break the tie. Yeah. We couldn't remember what we had agreed upon and all that. So we'll have it all mapped out because you you really need this W just to tie me. And so... Uh, well, th- this week I'm calling yeah. out the inner trout whisperer. Uh, so I'm, yeah. <laughs> I'm going for the big one. Well, we'll we will see, and uh, again, we will be off next week. But, next, but June third, we'll be back recording a show right here, and then June fourth and fifth is the Crawfish Bowl. Um, if you're going to the Doug Midstream Conference, you might as well come out and hang out with Josh and I at the Crawf- at the Shrimp Bowl. Sorry, I say Crawfish Shrimp Bowl, June fifth, and you can find out more about tech at that by going to TexasOilAndGasPodcast dot com slash shrimp. Had a lot of sign up so far. Still have a few more spots, so if you want to get out there. Um, should be a good night at Frisky Brewery um, in Odessa. So right there in Odessa. It's $10 to get in. Uh, you have to buy your tickets online. So texasoilandgaspodcast.com slash shrimp. It is limited seating. It is RSVP. I know I sent to some people that said, yeah, I'm coming. But they hadn't bought their tickets. If you don't show up, you don't have a ticket. We don't have a, um, I don't know. You have to figure out Nate. You know, talk to Nate about getting in, and we know how Nate is. So I wouldn't. I wouldn't count on Nate letting you in the door. He, he he Nate will be doing good if he prints the list out and brings it. So that will be an accomplishment for Nate. So go ahead, buy your tickets, and uh, 
is 10 to get in and uh, text one guest podcast.com slash shrimp. Love to see you. Should be a fun night. Well, Ryan, you know, we had on uh, Tom Zabel a few weeks ago. Uh, we were talking a little bit about one of the laws they were thinking about passing to stiffen penalties for uh, being near pipelines, environmentalists that are protesting. Uh, so they've been trying to pass some laws to make some of the language uh, a bit stiffer and have more consequences. So May 15th, they met and uh, they considered this bill further and uh, just pulled up the article of me really uh, for a few minutes earlier this week. And I, nothing's nothing's through yet. Uh, there's some people that are raising concerns about limiting the ability to protest. Uh, so I imagine this is going to be something that's in the discussions for, you know, few more few more weeks or at least at least a few more weeks maybe maybe even a few months before they come to a decision yeah i thought about this and i've had some listeners reach out and actually talk to me about it some um since we we had on tom and, and i've i've kind of thought about it in these terms josh so first off from a rights standpoint we want people to have the right to be able to protest i think that's just from a right standpoint we want them to have that right um and then also from a rights standpoint, we want people who have private property to be able to keep people off of their private property. Okay. So, and that's one of the things I was trying to get across last time was, you know, if you have a, a right of way um, and, and, you know, that in the landowner who um, has given up the easement or um, the right of way is not on his property, it's on someone else's property, but his property abuts the right of way, he should be able to allow people to protest on there. And it's, and, and we're not, anti-oil and gas guys so it's not like i'm saying hey we want them out there protesting but just from a rights standpoint this we, we should how we should think about it um the issue on the right of way is it's not really clearly marked it's not really definitive on when where that line is where it stops where it starts um, the mow line is not exactly what you'd call a good standard so our concern i think there is is hey you know how, how are you going to know if you're actually on the right of way or not now when you talk about the the facilities and stuff you know, those are enclosed by fences and stuff like that. And I think that's I think that's a different different scenario altogether. To protest inside the facility, um, you have to go and, you know, climb the fence or cut the fence or, you know, um, do something extra to get inside. And so I, I think that all of I think that it, when you're when you're thinking about this, you just want to make sure that the, the categories are correct and said, okay, well, uh, you want property rights to be upheld and you want the right to protest to be upheld. Um, what you don't want is to put in a situation to where um, you're you're blurring the lines between those two and you're getting people who, while we might disagree with them on protesting the pipelines, they're out there and that they they are not the bad actors because there's plenty of bad actors who go out there just because they get paid and you know we've talked about it before they, they drive us crazy. Um, but they're actually good people in good faith and they think that pipelines are bad for because they're not educated or, or whatever the case may be. Um, what you don't want is to see them be thrown in jail because the the, the, the pipeline right away isn't clearly defined, and then you get into, you get a situation to where um, it, it's it's kind of a messy thing. So uh, that's kind of how I thought about some as we talked about it. Was you know these are kind of categories, but I'm still not clear on why we need the the new law. Why what what what's the purpose of the new law? Because trespassing should be a crime. Destroying property because someone said something about well, you know they've cut locks on 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 stuff and they've done this. Well, that's I don't know what the proper legal terms is, but you're trespassing, you're damaging property, um, you know you're doing things like that. 
it seems like those laws should already be in place to take care of these things, and that's where my confusion well, still comes in. Just reading over it, Ryan, it says in here, um, it doesn't impact the entity or group people's ability to protest peacefully. It creates a deterrent, and it says here that uh, if their actions are detrimental to the critical infrastructure, the consequences are appropriate to the nature of that infrastructure. So it says that, uh, organizations found guilty of breaking the law will face up to 500000 under provision in the bill. I think what they're saying is normally when you trespass, it's a $15,000 fine. If you, mm-hmm. So this bill is actually proposing that if anything detrimental happens to the infrastructure, that that penalty can be raised up to 500000 due to the nature of the infrastructure. So I think... Right. Oh, yeah. but, okay, let me just ask you this. So and this is where I want to be consistent at. So... Um, Right, so it's not going to impact their. It's not going to impact their. Just to be clear, Josh, it's not going to impact their right to protest as long as they're not on the property, right? Yeah. And what I'm saying is, is when you got in the right of ways, yeah. if they're, that 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 might be clear. And, and again, we're not saying get there and protest. We're not we're not saying that. Just to be clear. Here's my concern. Just like we talked about before, the same thing applies here. Who is getting this five hundred thousand yeah. dollars? <laughs> is is the state getting this because the injured party? would be the oil and gas companies. And they should be the ones who would be able to collect on the injured party here. Just like we've said before, the landowner's injured party, they should get the money. The 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 the, the, um, the property owner should be the one that collects the money here. So um, just trying to be consistent on that. If the $500,000 is going to the landowner, which I doubt it is, or the oil and gas company, I doubt it is, okay. But it feels like it's just a way for the government to crack down, collect a check, and then go waste it on you know something stupid because you know we're ran by idiots. So that that's kind of what it sounds like to me. That's probably what it is, honestly. So and and, and, and so and just to be clear, if the deterrent was if you break in these people's property and you destroy their infrastructure, you're going to pay five hundred thousand dollars and they're going to get the money. I, and that might be how it is. I doubt it. it. Might be how it is. That would change my opinion because then the people who are actually impacted are the ones getting the money, not you know some bureaucrat somewhere who's collecting mm-hmm. a check. Well, there's uh, another article uh, that came out having to do with the kind of the trade war that's starting to develop between the U.S. and China, and it's saying the the article is arguing that uh, oil and gas has a lot on the line with this trade deal from pipes, infrastructure, steel um, on down the line. They're saying that this is going to be a uh, the president's hedging a, a big bet that. He's going to get this thing through uh, with China, and they're going to cave and go back to the original deal, I think, is, is kind of the tenure of the, of the article. What do you think, Ryan? Do you think oil and gas is really going to be impacted by these trade wars in a significant way, or do you think it's just uh, hype? I, you know, I think it could be. I mean, I think if we look at we have something, and I thought I had it opened up. I guess I don't. We had something for um, from Drilling Info on the fundamental, one of their fundamental edge reports we're going to go over, I know. And if you look at the exports on that, um, the exports to China are down are down pretty considerable. And, the, the, and, and so I think that's part of it. You know, one of the things that, that does frustrate me with this trade war is, I think it's this piece right here, President Trump says something to the effect that um, Americans aren't paying the tariffs. And that's just that's just not true. As someone who actually is bringing in something from overseas, guess who's paying the tariffs? This guy, yeah. you know, <laughs> or my customers. You know, depends on how you want to 
how you want to do it depends on the deal we strike with, with, with each customer. But to say that where well, the Americans aren't paying it, well, I'm, last time I checked, I'm American and my customers are Americans, so one or both of us are paying it. So yeah, um, so I think that that's you know if you want to justify the trade war for other on other merits, so be it. But don't don't say that the Americans aren't the ones paying for the tariffs because we we absolutely are the ones paying for the tariffs. Um, but yeah, I think there's a chart on this thing, Josh, on this drilling info fundamental edge report, and it talks about the imports by China. And if you go back and look, you know before the trade war, uh, China was importing was a big importer of our oil, and since then it's pretty much gone away. Um, so. Getting this, getting this deal done, there's a lot of things at stake here. Um, I'm not a big proponent of tariffs. We talk about that. I know you're not either. Um, get the deal done. But but also, there's there's a sentiment in the market, and Ellen and I talked about this on Energy Week with um, Sarp. He came on our show, and he was talking about the need for light, sweet crude internationally as IMO 2020 comes into play. And so I, I think, you know, there could be a, an increased potential demand over, a handful, over the next handful of years in these refineries for our type of crude oil. Um, so getting these deals done is important, and um, hopefully President Trump will, will finally be able to close these deals. And, you know, who knows why they backed out, you know, if the Chinese were um, acting in bad faith or Trump was acting in bad faith, you know, it's... Uh, yep. Well, it's, it's kind there's of an article that kind of goes hand-in-hand hand with this uh, from oilprice.com. It talks about... Uh, the title of the article is China's Achilles heel is its soaring energy demand. And it's talking about how much their imports have increased over the last 10 years or so. They imported 10.6 million barrels of oil per day last year, 2018. And uh, and right now, I think they're, I mean, they're not pumping near enough to be able to handle their own energy demands. That they're, um, I mean, they're they're just using so much more energy than, than they were, you know, 10, 15 years ago. And that's going to continue to increase at a rapid rate. Uh, and this guy's saying that that's their Achilles heel is that their ability to wager with different com- different countries is going to be dependent on their need to import from those countries. Right. Yeah, and that's one thing I think it kind of gets mixed up uh, or lost in the mix rather on these talks about energy is global oil demand is going up and to the right. And and we live in America, so we don't really think about. The need for um, things like if you, like you do if you're in a developing nation, you go to developing nations and you realize all the roads, all the buildings, you know, all the stuff that's got to be done. You go, oh my goodness gracious, it's going to take a lot of oil and gas to get these people to first world levels. Um, and China has a lot of infrastructure it needs to build out as well. So the demand for oil will grow globally. Um, obviously, this trade war won't last forever. You would think um, Trump's going to be out of office either in what two years or a year, I guess it is, or two years, and or or five years. So, at some, at some point, he'll he'll be gone, and someone else will will uh, negotiate either a better or worse deal, depending on how it shakes out. But, um, but regardless, I think yeah, we got to get this deal done at some point, and the long term look for oil and gas is good. Doesn't mean you'll have dips, but I think if you actually just go read the projections, and you know, it depends on who you read. Some people are like, oh, you know, the, the world's gonna end. But if you just go look and say, okay. What has to happen? Go look at Africa. Go look at South America. Those places are populated with tons of nations, with populations that are that are growing and are going to grow, and they're going to need energy. And as they get more and more closer to first world type standard of living, you know their their increase for uh, their demand for energy is going to increase. So, uh, yeah, I think it's you know, obviously that I means you don't want to have setbacks and and uh, regressions, but up and to the right. 
Well, we have uh, Drilling Info, you mentioned it a minute ago, Ron. They have a report uh, that they released, Fundamental Edge, for May 2019. Uh, this is just a preview, so we don't have access to all the good stuff uh, in this article. I just found this one. And uh, there's a few takeaways here. I think uh, the one that really stood out to me was... Uh, the LNG liquefaction market is a key player for natural gas. And uh, by the end of 2019, the U.S. will have six operating terminals. Right now we have four. And they're anticipating to be at 10 billion cubic uh, feet of capacity. Additionally, over 40 billion in 20 terminals have been proposed in the U.S. And it says they expect to reach 10 billion in 2023 of um exports so exports have been growing tremendously in the natural gas and they're opening up ter terminals so the prices are low they're expecting the, the next point they're expecting them to stay low for at least a few more years but they're expecting exports to continue to climb and increase so natural gas market's going to be i think steady just a, a steady market yep now looking good looking good we want to be able to export our products around the world. It is a good thing for us and for them and for everyone involved. Speaking of people, Josh, that have a global presence, I'm seeing here that Sergio Chapa is... Is that Sergio Chapa hopping in on the bat line? All right, we have a long-time uh, no-see guest coming on the show today, Sergio Chapa. He's with the Houston Chronicle. Sergio, long-time no-talk, man. How's it been going? Hey, good morning. Been good. Been good. Houston's been been treating me very well. We we, we wouldn't know because you you won't come on the show. So it's oh, it's, it's, it's good to hear that. Finally, it's good to hear that. Um, I've uh, <laughs> been a little busy, but always got time for for you guys. Well, it's good to have you on, Sergio. No, we are glad to have you back on. Um, I know we're going to talk about what's going on the Barnett, but but first. Since you've gone to the Chronicle, have how many exposés have you written on Capital and Gas? Oh, uh, you know what? I, I think I see my editor calling me. <laughs> you know, it's funny. <laughs> uh, I'll be, yeah, I'll be right on that. It's funny. I had someone the other day I, I ran into, and they're like, man, uh, Sergio, I was always waiting on that Capital and Gas deal. You know, they, they, <laughs> they, they brought that up. And so, anyways... Well, Sergio, you're coming on to talk about our area where Josh and I are neck of the woods, the Barnett Shell. And it's interesting because I think about two years ago, I heard some discussion about, hey, the Barnett, you know, fracking technology has kind of improved. They got some new techniques. Since the Barnett's heyday, you might see the Barnett um, kind of have a second go at it. And it sounds like you might be kicking that narrative in the teeth today. Yeah, that's right. Uh, let, let's just be clear. The Barnett Shale is, is in the middle of a in the grips of a what we call a drilling drought. <laughs> uh, you know, I've, I've been, you know, I closely uh, monitor drilling permits across the state. And uh, so it's, it's rather sophisticated. It, it, you, I can break it down by basin, by county, you know, everything like that. And uh, what I've watched is that uh, there's just a, a steep decline in drilling activity in the Barnett Shale, you know, which is which is rather ironic because it was the birthplace of the shale yeah. revolution and fracking and hydraulic fracturing, and horizontal drilling, and now it's 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 all dried up. Uh, you know, I, I watched this uh, week by week, and I watched four weeks in the Barnett Shale without a single permit filed for a horizontal well, wow. and uh, and in that time there were permits filed for vertical wells 
you know, and recompletions and things like that. But as far as a new horizontal, you know, well, mm-hmm. we went four weeks without it between April and May. Finally broke that drought last week when uh, Devon Energy out of Oklahoma filed a one, a single, you know, permit horizontal well for gas well, you know, in Wise County. So what's what's the word i mean what are people saying i mean four weeks is a, is a long period of time in in any shell area um so what's is the industry saying you know what um there there's some acreage swaps going on and we're just kind of putting the brakes on it or they saying you know what this this thing may have you know it had its heydays you said but it, it, the days are they're, they're gone for now well, it's just pure economics. It's, 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 I would say it's, it's the prices of low of the prices of natural gas are so low below $3 uh, makes it, makes it an uneconomic shell play. You know, you got to keep in mind that like in places like Eagle Ford shale and uh, the Permian basin, you get natural gas as a byproduct drilling for, you know, a commodity, you know, that's much more valuable crude oil. And that, that's completely absent in, in the, uh, you know, natural gas-rich Barnett shale. You know, you do see these, um, these drilling permits filed for vertical oil wells in the region, but you don't, you're not really seeing the, uh, the horizontal drilling permits, you know, in, in North Texas at all. I, I was just looking through the figures here for drilling permits. They peaked in 2008, and they've kind of been on the decline ever since. Um, you know, the Railroad Commission of Texas recorded, let's take a look here, 91 horizontal drilling well permits in uh, in uh, the Barnett Shale, you know, uh, last year in 2018. So mm-hmm. far this year, let me take a look here, uh, 32 is what I'm counting in the Barnett Shale. So maybe it's, it's but there's these large gaps between those, those right. permits when they happen. Because remember, they're doing the. Uh, there's another trend at play here. They're doing those, um, you know, multi well pads. Those have become mm-hmm. very fashionable now. Mm-hmm. And so, so when usually, typically, when you file, uh, you file a horizontal drilling permits in a set, two, three, four, something right. all together, and then you go weeks without. So that's the new reality of the Barnett Shale. So let me ask you this: um, You mentioned Devon is the first one to drill after a month. Are, are they the ones that you might can follow? that would be continuing to drill sporadically or, you know, cause Devin's a pretty big name or do you think we're going to be seeing, you know, smaller independent, you know, kind of, you know, Ryan and Sergio's EMP company, who's trying to be creative. You know, what, what do you think um, is the path forward here? It's expensive as you mentioned. And if you have assets in the Eagleford or in the Permian where you're getting natural gas already, it's, it's not really going to benefit you um, to drill here. Right. No, I, that's a good question. Um, so what I did is I did an analysis of like uh, drilling permits in the, in the heyday in 2008. Okay. So it was back right. in 2008. So the top four companies were Chesapeake, Devon, EOG resources, and XTO mm-hmm. energies. Those are pretty big names. Right? Mm-hmm. We right. all know them. I mean, we respect them. And, and, and now out of these, these 32 permits um, that were filed this so far this year, Devon's number one, followed with a company from Fort Worth named uh, TEP Barnett USA, and then 1849 Energy Resources. And here, this one's you're, you're going to find interesting. The number four is a company called Petrobal, and they're actually based out of Mexico City. So they're mm-hmm. a Mexican oil company with, uh, with an office, I, I think, in Irving or Dallas, somewhere around there. And what they've been doing is they've been gaining the expertise. Right. Know, 
on the technology here, cutting their teeth, if you will, on this technology uh, on our side of the border with hopes of, you know, replicating that success yeah. in Mexico, if, if at all. So what they've been doing, they haven't been drilling what we call new horizontal wells. What they've been doing is recompleting pre-existing ones they bought from other companies. So that that's kind of an interesting trend there. And then, you know, what I really need to note, though, is that Devon, although they're the top driller in the Barnett Shale right now, and they have the only working uh, drilling horizontal drilling rig out there in the Eagle, uh, sorry, in the Barnett, Barnett Shell right now, even though they're the only one out there right now, the top one, they're looking to exit the Barnett Shell. They've made it clear on their on their uh, investor calls and investor presentations that they're looking to sell those assets. So that, you know, that could be an opportunity for, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, an EMP company looking to get into the natural gas market. With the lack of drilling, um, I'm imagining that, that some of these companies are probably losing their, their leases because they're not drilling enough to keep their leases active and stuff. And so our companies talking about that, you mentioned Devin's looking to, to exit. Are they going to try to sell the assets off or are they going to say, you know what, just let the leases go? Um, and then the second thing you brought up a minute ago, when we talk about the ducks. You know, there's a lot of talk about ducks, this, ducks, this. There's a lot of ducks in the Barnett, but they were ducks back when the prices were really high. Um, are you seeing some of those being sold off for relatively cheap now because they've been sitting there so long that companies are coming in and, and refinishing those? So I don't know. I think I would, that, that, that sounds like a whole nother project, Ryan. I mean, one, like as far as looking at leases and quantities, like I would argue that, that everything's been, that's been leased up before has been drilled. And I think I would suspect that, you know, I'd have to look at the courthouse leases and everything like that. I would suspect that, that just by looking at the previous drilling numbers to now, I, I, I would suspect that leasing activity dried up far before the drilling right. drought started. Right. So I would suspect, I, I don't have that confirmed. And then as far as ducks go, um, you know, the EIA and other, other people, they don't, they don't really count the Barnett anymore. I, I was, I was shocked the other day cause I went on the EIA's uh, regional drilling report and, uh, you know, I, you know, you can find you can find Navarra, Marcellus, Carmian, um, right. Haynesville, Eagleford, all those basins. But what they left out was the Barnett. You know, I think that like which which was included before, I think. I mean, on that on that that weekly drilling or that monthly drilling mm-hmm. report that they do. And um, so I don't know. I, I, that, 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 that's that's a very good question that that, that um that would beg more research, but I would, I would, again, I would suspect that the leasing dried up way before the drilling drought started. Okay. So this, this shift gears here real quick. I'm just curious, just from a general standpoint, you were in San Antonio, you're covering the Eagle for pretty much not exclusively, but you're covering it pretty in depth. Now that you're in Houston, which is kind of the oil and gas capital of the world. What if anything about the oil and gas industry, the energy industry has, has, you know, have you, uh, has maybe your focus has shifted or you learned something you didn't realize or I'm just curious from being in San Antonio and covering what you covered to now with the Chronicle, you cover more of a broad, wide ranging, um, same things, but more uh, a wider, wider area, I guess, if you will. Um, anything that you've learned or viewpoints changed on stuff um, since you've left? No, no, I'm glad you asked that. Uh, like, you know, one of the things with the drilling permit roundup, it was always just like San Antonio on South, you know, when I was in San Antonio. But now it's mm. statewide, so now I've got a, I've been able to learn a lot about other basins like the uh, Haynesville, the Barnett, Permian. You know, get deeper into that, 
And then, um, you know, here particularly, I cover uh, the service companies midstream and, you know, and kind of Mexico. Hmm. And it's been, it's been amazing to go to things like Nape and Week hmm. and OTC. Missed you there, buddy, by the yeah. way. Yeah, I was hoping yeah. I was hoping to go live from the floor of OTC <laughs> on the uh, Texas Oil and Gas podcast or something, but uh, but yeah, no, it's it's been it's been amazing to go to. The, the greatest thing that I've been learning the most about actually is the offshore industry. You know, uh, you know, San Antonio, landlocked right. uh, city, whereas right. Houston is like the you know the cap of the global capital of the offshore industry. So it's, right, it's been it's been it's been fascinating, just absolutely fascinating to learn about that industry. Well, good deal. Well, Sergio, obviously this is on Monday, uh, May 20th, we're talking. So I'm sure you probably have an idea of some of the stuff you'll be covering this week for the Chronicle. Might want to throw out there for the listeners that want to you know, know what's coming up ahead. No, definitely. Okay, so uh, a couple of things I'm working on is a big project that's due today. It's, it's been weeks and weeks of, of work, and it's finally going to have that good feeling to get it off my desk is, uh, is the, uh, the big LNG debate liquefied natural gas debate happening in uh, the port of Brownsville. Three mm-hmm. companies want to build um, LNG export terminals down there, but the, you know, but they've encountered like a very, very stiff opposition from environmentalists, from community groups, Native Americans. And so uh, this story just paints very broad strokes about how this started, why they selected those sites, you know, like understanding the opposition where they're coming from and then also mm-hmm. understanding the company's positions, you know, and then also kind of updating it Every time I do the story and about to turn it in, something happens like the uh, like the Chinese tariffs on LNGs. Now I've got to right. on LNG. Now I've got to go like, well, wait a minute. Even if they get the permits, can uh, what, what are these what are these these right. Chinese tariffs going to mean for these companies? You know, so, I mean, if, if you can hold a permit, but if you can't, you know, get any business contracts, well, you know, what good are they? And so when should that story come out? Oh, so we're aiming for a couple of weeks from now. I think a couple of Sundays from now will be okay. a good Sunday story. Okay, that that one that one will be uh, definitely be uh, a good a good one to read. Okay, well we'll keep our eyes out for it. Maybe by that time, by the time it comes out, the tariffs might be might be done with. So, oh well, you never know. <laughs> <laughs> you never know you never you never know know with what's going on with that okay well sergio it's good to get you back on again uh thank you for your time where can people find out obviously the houston chronicle but um you want to send them to twitter or linkedin or folks to connect with twitter linkedin instagram i'm i'm there on all those channels so just on twitter it's at sergio chapa all one word so all right sergio well it's good to have you back on thank you for your time today sir and uh hopefully get you on again before you know, six months or something. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks again, uh, Sergio Chapa, for finally making it back on the show. He's with the Houston Chronicle now. Really nice having him on the show. And uh, this week for the Texas Roundup, we have quite a bit of things to cover. Uh, we're going to just run through some of these. Apache bets big on Permian gas liquids. Uh, so uh, uh, Apache, something certainly to keep an eye on. Another one, uh, Howard Energy Partners announces completion of growth projects in Delaware Basin. So uh, it is 50 miles of crude oil gathering pipelines. Uh, a cyrogenic processing capacity uh, was completed. And 10,000 acre dedication for additional crude oil gathering and gathering lines. Uh, so Howard Energy is someone to keep an eye on. They're definitely making some moves. 
South Dakota sues Texas Oil and Gas Company for $15.5 million. Uh, so I was quickly looking through this. There were 40 natural gas wells in Harding County. Uh, they were held by uh, Spygas Cedar Creek, partnered with Kevin Sellers and March Kimmel. Uh, they're being sued $15.5 million because they abandoned the wells. It's going to cost the state nearly $900,000 to plug those 40 wells. And uh, and then there's just the, for not doing it, there's additional costs, I guess. So note to EMP companies, plug your wells. Uh, <laughs> SEC investigating Alta Mesa's finances. I thought this was interesting, Ryan, because I was actually doing some research on Alta Mesa when I was in Houston on my last trip and was thinking about stopping by their office and uh, ended up getting uh, another appointment and decided to postpone. Good deal that I did because uh, right now they got a billion dollars, uh, $1 billion about a year ago, basically a blank check from the chief of Anadarko. And now their stocks are valued at just over $30 million. So uh, I haven't seen anyone lose money that fast since uh, <laughs> watching you play blackjack at casino night the other night. <laughs> <laughs> well, I wonder if they hired you for their finances true. or what, man. So, uh, yeah, yeah, you were. <laughs> so, so ConocoPhillips, uh, they tout a growth and stability, not aiming for big acquisitions. This is kind of their response to Oxy's big deal with Anadarko. They're looking for big acquisitions, although the guy that they're interviewing, the chief executive, Ryan Lance, did say that they are open for any opportunities because they do want more acreage. And the last article, Ryan, is Sergio Chapa. Uh, Schlumberger exits Tubular's business after selling three subsidiaries in a $400 million deal. Uh, the three companies were Juroco, Thomas Tools, and Fishing and Remedial Services, sold to a Houston oilfield technology firm, Wellbore Integrity Solutions. So that's the roundup for the week. Uh, a lot of stuff out there. Uh, we'll have all the links to the articles in the show notes if you want to go and check it out, do some research on uh, any of these companies uh, we'll, we'll link all that in the show notes yep and be sure to sign up for the shrimp bowl if you're in midland text long slash shrimp how this one goes will determine if we continue to do this or not if we have a good turnout um looks like we have a decent turnout so if we have a uh, if we sell out if you will then we'll do one we talk about doing in houston may do one in houston uh in a few weeks or months or, or whenever we can get down there. Um, but if we don't, then you know what? We're going to eat some shrimp and have some cold drinks, and then we won't <laughs> we won't do it again. We are people, men, men of the people, and so we're going to see how you guys respond, and we'll go from there. So texatlongguyspodcast.com slash shrimp. Also, Bath and Bay Rod and Gun is our sponsor. Be sure to go to bathandbayrodandgun.com to sign up for your trip. Take your clients, take your family, take your friends, or you know, if you want to go by yourself, go do that at bathandbayrodandgun.com. Uh, if you connect with Josh and I on LinkedIn, you will be able to get a little sneak peek of what's going on down there, I'm sure, this weekend, or maybe on Instagram at Texas One Guest Podcast. Um, Josh, you had to call me out like that, man. I'm on Blackjack that night. That's that's a pretty low blow. That's a pretty hey, low blow. Got to get so, you where I can, man. <laughs> All right, for the listeners, thank you for tuning in, and until next time, keep fighting.